0: Good afternoon, you are joining us for a Business Acceleration Playbook, where we are bringing you the plays that you need to win in your business, and Angela Buckley and Coach Ray are joining me today as co-hosts, and we have a special guest today, Kayla, and I didn't ask how to say your last name, and I'm not even going to attempt to butcher that, so you'll have to tell everybody what your last name is.
1: Yeah, before
2: you say it, let me Fiervante. guess it. Oh, see, I wanted to guess it. I was going to say uh, Fieravanti.
0: Oh, you said
2: about that's
0: a man. That's fancy. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, Ray had to make it extra fancy. I have no idea. I'm terrible at between Ray, you have names, to say it so. like
3: this with your hand.
0: That, that's right. That's a <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that was, that was better than what I could have done. I didn't even try to attempt that. So, yeah. So, okay. Kayla, I'm going to let you tell everybody who you are and what you do because honestly, you are a surprise guest. You are kind of crashing this party late. Uh, Jeff Dewaskin was supposed to be a guest today, but he's not feeling well. So Jeff, hope you feel better soon. But Kayla, thank you so much for first of all, diving in here with a little notice. But I'm going to be learning no a problem. little bit about who you are and what you do, just along with everybody else. All right. Well, um, I'm Kayla Fierbanti,
1: and um, I'm an author. I've written 15 books. Um, on all kinds of different subjects, a lot to do with aromatherapy, hemp CBD, business, making products, um, and then some other projects along the way. And then um, I have been an entrepreneur since um, I got laid off from my last job in 1998, and I never went back to work um, in, in a special employed since 1998. I started a little business in my kitchen with $50 and um, a whole lot of blood, sweat and tears that I s- started in basically 1999. And then I sold in 2011 for a lot more than $50. And um, and then I was basically gonna kind of retire, but I guess that's not in me. Um, so then I started a, um, so th- that original company was Essential Wholesale, still around doing exceptionally well. Um, and, um, it made the fastest growing company in America list three years in a row. Um, it was a, it was a very successful business because we were in the right place at the right time and working like crazy, um, to, to pull that off. Um, so I sold it in 2011, started a publishing company, um, because I had figured out the whole self-publishing thing from, um, from a mentor. And um, everyone's like, how do you self-publish? And I'm like, oh, here, I'll write a book on it. And you guys just follow the directions. And so I wrote the book and people are like, yeah, okay, but still, how do I hire you to um, publish my book for me? So I ended up starting a publishing company from from that. And I've sold that as well now. And um, now I am in a company with my kids. Um, so I had a non-compete when I sold Essential Wholesale. And when it was ending, um, I was planning on just coming in and being back into the industry as a formulator. I have an aromatherapy school, Ology Essentials Institute. And um, I was just planning on kind of focusing on, on doing things from my desk on my own. And um, my son just kept saying over and over again, you got to try hemp CBD. you got to try hemp CBD. And I was like, I've seen every natural ingredient under the sun. There's no way this is so phenomenal that I would want to incorporate it into my new business. And he's like, yeah, try it anyway. So I did try it, and um, it completely changed my health history. I was able to cancel a surgery that I had been trying not to have for the previous year and a half. And um, I had finally given in and scheduled the surgery. And then I canceled it um, because hemp CBD made such a big difference in my life. So I called my son and I'm like, what are we doing? What do we wanna do in this hemp space? And so we started Ology Essentials and we focus on high-end luxury CBD products. We do a ton of white labeling for people outside of the CBD industry as well. We make all kinds of cosmetics, pet, uh, we make CBD candies, like everything. that you can imagine doing. So um, kind of have fun doing that. Um, Done a couple other little businesses along the way. The kids and I also have a house flipping business that was really interesting to do in the midst of COVID. Like we started it (laughs) the month before COVID. (laughs) So uh, that was interesting. Um, And so anyway, we still are going in that direction, but we're not gonna flip, we're gonna build from scratch. So kind of learning along the way and changing directions as need be um, is my specialty.
3: So in fact, Kayla, I know you from so many of these years ago when you were doing um, wholesale essential oils, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I have super appreciated about watching you and knowing you and seeing you grow is one, your willingness to pivot your willingness to authentically look into a challenge and face it with courage. And also because of that, your willingness to take the time to look at data and understand the data and not get swept away in a wave of emotion and hype and some of the things that um, we, we often see when we are operating in a social media world. Um, I guess I would love to hear maybe some more details around some of those stories if you'd like to share. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yes. I've always been, um, I share what I learned along the way kind of person. Um, And so with Essential Wholesale, when we started, we were giving away information that just wasn't really publicly readily available. Um, we, we had some advisors who thought it was the stupidest thing in the world and they were constantly like you need to charge you need to monetize um, all the information you're giving away. And we just felt it was so essential to um, help other people come up with us. And that is the success of essential Wholesale, is bringing people up with us by giving away information and um, helping other companies start small and become oversized they want to be. And then um, Along the way, yeah, I've reached. In, I've been in a couple controversies um, because I am very outspoken um, on keeping to the science over marketing um, and honesty and kind of truth being full disclosure about everything. So um, I, I wrote a blog post in 2014 that went viral, um, kind of disclosing how multi-level companies are teaching some unsafe practices. Um, that was so viral that it took me down like every hour. I was just this constant thing. My, my person had to move her entire business to another um, uh, hosting source. Um, so it, it's still my number one blog post. Um, I've written all other kinds of other content, um, but it's still kind of a great evergreen material, teaching the truth about it. Um, I ended up writing a book with somebody who was injured by one of the companies, by, um, bad information. And so that's the unspoken truth of essential oils. Um, I've just always been like, essential oils are great and they're wonderful, but we have to use them with caution and we need to treat them with respect and dilute them and, and not be about just selling more essential oils. It has to be about using essential oils safely for a lifetime. Um, and that's kind of my approach with all manufacturing is making sure that, um, everything is as clean as possible and as disclosed as possible. Um, And then more recently uh, the controversy I got myself in was talking about um, DYI hand sanitizers during COVID. And um, uh, that, that again, went on another viral blog post. It's like now number two Um, and basically saying, Hey, if you don't know what you're doing with hand sanitizer, please don't go teaching people how to make it wrong, um, and giving all the information on how to do it correctly, and kind of keeping people up to date as things change during the pandemic, um, and kind of giving people roadmaps who wanted to, there was an opening during that time where the FDA allowed uh, manufacturers to step into the -the over-the-counter drug space, um, because we had the facilities, we had the means to test everything. And um, so we stepped into it, but we also kind of left a a roadmap so that anybody else who wanted to as well um, could do it and do it legally and safely and make products that are effective. So those are probably my most um, well-known blog posts and and information that I've shared um, over the years. And it does make me unloved by those who don't like um uh that's for sure. I've gotten I've gotten a lot of hate mail. It's kind of one of my entertaining is checking my email and and being like,
0: oh yeah, okay. I haven't been called that one yet. That's your next book. Oh. The names that you've been called, maybe it's a whole other right. whole another book. So as somebody that's in the marketing space, I actually applaud the fact that you're not just wanting to put everything out there because I think that is a misnomer in the marketing world that, you know, you just spray and pray information out there and you shouldn't. And I agree with that 100%. So, you know, sometimes doing the... The right thing and being controversial is is the best thing to do which i mean controversy also can be good marketing so as you can see with your viral posts you know sometimes i can also help you know as well so i applaud you you know being able to step up i haven't read those yet but now i'm going to uh, make a note and go do that i would really want to read those i'm very really curious but
1: me too yeah science. I, I, I they're very science the comments because they're fascinating wait yeah. Read, the little, uh, there,
0: read the blog post. Read the comments.
3: Read the blog post first. And then on Friday night when you're drinking your wine, read the comments.
0: Oh, I, I'm one of those people. That is my free time. Like I will like scroll. I'm that person. I guess I scrolls the comments and laughs by myself, you know, at all these comments. That's I, that's what I do for fun. It's sad, but it's true. So what would you say is has been the most challenging Thing. You've mentioned several businesses, several books, you know, all the things. You know, what, what has been your most challenging part of business ownership? Um, gosh, the most challenging? I mean, it, it is that when,
1: especially when you're in kind of in a public, face, uh, a public face and you've kind of been out there, is failing and failing publicly. Um, I, I have failed in business, and um, I probably failed more times, but not as epically as I've succeeded. Um, and so I I think that's kind of, you know, it's hard and and you have to be like, I believe in being full disclosure. Um, I I write about it in one of my books. I can't remember which one kind of telling the stories of of multiple business failures, um, in order to make people understand that it's okay that you fail, just, you got to just keep going. Um, and pivoting and changing and adjusting so um i think that's been one of the hardest things i've been really fortunate to have a really good support system of other business owners who have been really just carried me along the way and ready to jump in and support whatever message i put out or support me personally um when when i've been attacked for various things um so I've been fortunate in that time, but I do think that's one of the hardest parts of business ownership is that you're on your own and you really need a support system. So I always encourage people to try and find that.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I I want to talk about change. I'm also fascinated with all the businesses that you've owned and they're they're in different industries. They're not by any means, You, you are the focal point, but they're in different directions. Tell me about the changes that you've had to make in those businesses, learning about those businesses, learning how to sell in those businesses, learning how to market in those businesses? I'm sure you've taken lessons from you know, others, but I, this is completely different direction. So how have you been able to do that and maintain success?
1: That's a great question. <laughs> um, I am a research fanatic. I love to research. So um, I mean, I've even spent some time in the, as a bison rancher as well. I mean, just all kinds of different things. And when I jump into that, um, I learn everything there is to know about it um, and read every opinion on both sides um, to form my own and look at who's succeeding at it, what are they doing that's making them successful, which businesses are not doing well. Like, look at their websites. You can often see... Based on, on just um, just an example, since I mentioned Bison, there's a company called North Star Bison, and they do incredibly well. And I kind of looked at them and saw what are they doing, how are they positioning themselves, um, what about them, because kind of were on the same philosophies as me as well. Um, and so what what would be the kind of content I should be putting out? What's missing in the field? And that's really one of my biggest things, looking at what's missing in the field. It's, um, especially as a writer, I have the ability to just kind of um, read a bunch of information and then bring it back out. Um, kind of what I'm known for is t- digesting a lot of scientific information and then trying to put it back out in plain English. Um, and making it very easy for any consumer whose interest level is at any level. like if they're just slightly um, interested, i I've got something for them. Um, and if they're really interested, I've got something for them as well. so i th- I think the pivoting has been my my desire to do research and share what I learn um, has been helped me succeed in in several different avenues. Now, on the house flipping because of Covid, I'm saying we're going to break even, but I wouldn't say that was a great success, but we're going to pivot and make some other changes. Um, So on the next thing that we do, we learn from our mistakes, learn from and I wouldn't even say they were mistakes, but they were things that put us in a position that when COVID hit uh, and we had two houses and inspections needed to happen and things like that that suddenly couldn't happen. Um, being able to pivot and make changes as we went along the way, and then probably the other big thing I've learned is partnering with the right people. Partnering with people who have kind of the same beliefs and values, and and um, business, especially on the business and work side, ethic, how you're work doing ethic. business. <laughs> yes, the work same work ethic. ethic. Oh gosh, so I'm saying that for an example
0: too. So I, I, I I'm like I'm that's li- that's hearing I'm myself girl. Yeah. Well, and I know I'm kind of a creature of being able to, I guess I wouldn't say being able to, of liking being in different projects. I'm sure Angela can tell you because she knows I've, I've got my foot in a lot of different things. And one of my challenges has been making sure that that team is a team and it's not just like me carrying a whole lot of people. And, you know, I've made those mistakes in the past and it's made me a little... I guess gun shy a little bit on <laughs> being able to do partnerships on some stuff for the future. So, have you found you've you mentioned team, you know, the tribe, you know, a support system? Have you found those aspects challenging to find the right people? And how have you found success in being able to choose the right people? Um, really, really
1: early in my business, um, I connected with another startup. Um, indie bi- beauty business, or what was it then? Indie, indie yeah. Beauty Network or Handmade something ne- at the no, time. No,
3: in, in, that's right. It was Handmade Beauty Network or something.
1: Yeah, uh, along the way. And we, we partnered really early with them. And it has been um, a huge part of our success has been being partnered with, with them. <laughs> and I think we've partnered in, in business now, we'll partner with somebody and then if they're not really going where they're where, where we think they're going to be going, then we just kind of back away from it. And the ones that really are um, in line with what we're doing and, and where we can be mutually helpful, I can help them and they can help me and, and we can all support each other. Those are the best relationships. Where it's just me supporting one thing, or just them supporting me, I feel like it doesn't end up being as authentic of a relationship in business. And um, so we were really early with Donna Marie. She's actually now one of my best friends in the world. Um, and uh, just kind of when you find those like-minded people, on onto them and jumping yeah. in with every—I mm-hmm. mean, she comes up with an idea. I'm like, yeah, I'll be your—I'll be your guest. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> you know, jumping in with them, when you know something's right for you, I mean, Angela called me and I'm like, yeah, I'll do whatever she wants. Like, <laughs> I, I, like I I just, I believe in what she, she, you know, that we we are very like-minded and, and I see her being a hard worker and kind of having a lot of the same um, things going on. So so it was a really easy yes for me, even though I was like, oh, I'm nowhere near someplace to do this. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. It Absolutely. is those relationships that um, that really matter over time, and as you build them, um, finding other ways to connect together is is um, so valuable in helping each other. So, uh, I hope Absolutely. I answered that.
0: No, it did. Yeah. I think that's perfect, mm-hmm. and I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. It's relationships are key, and part of establishing a relationship is figuring out which ones are great for you and which ones aren't. And I think that takes. Some maturity or it did with me, not, not even maturity necessarily in years, but in experience on figuring out, you know, which relationships to really push into and which are just like going to be pulling from you only. And, yep. you know, that can be a hard challenge for a business mm-hmm. owner, especially at the beginning.
3: Kayla, can you talk to us a little bit about yeah. values and value matching when you're looking, not just, not just, okay, hey, we have the same, we're going in the same market, but how do the values latch on when you're really getting that authentic um, business working relationship? Do you consider that actively or um, do me, you find that
1: the values line up? Yeah, it, do, it does. I do consider it, not when it comes to politics or religion and those no. sorts of things that I don't think are related to business, but I see people mixing that in and causing rifts in business. I think it's yeah. about having the same values about disclosure, about honesty, truth, you know, things that are related to your business are far more important than getting lost in the weeds of having differences in religion or politics or any of those things that, that divide people um, mm-hmm. in business. What matters is that we, we, both believe in taking care of our consumer. We both believe in in um, being full disclosure and just a lot of those sorts of things. Whatever's the core of your business, that's what's important to connect with with somebody.
2: Kayla, okay, well, I, I want to mention or talk to you about your books. You're you're a pub, you're an author. You've done or published fifteen books. Is that correct?
0: That's a lot of books. <laughs> that's a lot of books. <laughs>
2: Wow, um, for for people like I, have written two, and that was one of the, <laughs> some of the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Right, I'm starting, I'm starting to write a third. But I'm wondering, I, I know, we, I, I kind of know that that you pivot, and so you have a lot of ideas. But where do you have time? Number one, to write 15 books, and then two, as an author, uh, what would you tell someone that was enduring to, even just to try to write their first book?
1: So um, uh, the time, um, I, I am a workaholic, I, I'll admit that up front here, um, and, um, uh, and so I get really driven and really focused, um, but also, like the first three books, um, I found out how to self-publish when I had three months left before my company sold, and I was not going to be able to publish that content. Once my company sold, so I was like, "All right, let's go." So um, I took all my content. I mean, I've written massive amount of blog content. So many people have, and I basically organized that content, filled it all in, uh, did the experiments that needed to happen, and I got all three of them published in three in those three months. Um, and uh, and it was basically those first three was really reusing content that already existed and making it flow into a book. One of them was, uh, I had decided that melt-and-pore soap bases, um, it had always been an industry secret and I don't like secrets. So um, I decided that I would just make new ones from, new formulas from scratch and disclose them. And so people would fully understand what was in melt and pour soap and they could take control of making it themselves if they wanted to. So that was the only one that I had to create new content for, um, and then the other books, um, I am a, I blog things to myself basically sometimes. So I'll blog recipes so that I can find them later myself, um, and and I'll also like in the publishing side I had to learn a lot to do the publishing myself, mm-hmm. and so and then I was writing myself content and notes um, to follow when I went to do it again. So to repeat to repeat the process, I am not naturally a technical person. I just, oh, it was rough. And so making these little <laughs> cheat sheets for myself is what I use to do my self-publishing book, um, which I've taken down because it's changed now, the industry, and I don't have an interest anymore to take the time to go back and make those changes. I always kind of write on what I'm most interested, interested in at the time. And um, so I have three in the CBD field um, and I've also learned after writing two really large books that um, bite-sized books are the way to go, like make them small, <laughs> keep them little. People mm. like little books. People like to, to read quickly. It, it's inexpensive. So my books are all really small little books covering one aspect with the long-term goal of having a collection of these books, to have like a certification program for hemp CBD. So exactly. each topic, like right now, it's topical hemp CBD, and then the next one was um, was writing about addiction and CBD and how to use them to get or you know to get out of an addictive cycle, and then um, I'm working on one that takes flour, hemp flower and teaches people how to cook and bake with it and, and make pro- make things with it um, themselves. So just kind of now making it simpler on myself in making short books, um, keep them simple, keep them right on the topic, no extra fluff, um, and, and thinking in terms of series instead of trying to do it all in a giant book, which don't sell as well, by the way. The big books, I have two Not large right. books and they do not sell as well as um, my smaller books. Right, but but I work a lot. I'm sorry.
3: We're gonna call her Kayla Ferivanti, the passion writer.
2: The the pivot passion writer, there you go.
3: Pivot passion writer, yep, (laughs) pivot and passion.
2: Kayla, you mentioned blogging, and a lot of people don't, if, if, Mm -hmm. if they're writing, they think they have to create new content. You know, and you just said that. Hey, listen, I just took all my blogs and and put them together and 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 made something from that. There are a lot of people that will go on the internet, and I know this for a fact because I was a part of a group that did this, and I left that group. So there's no way I'm writing my book like this. Go on the internet, put your topic in, and copy what's there, and then write. It's like, come on, really? That's- but you mentioned, go ahead, go ahead, Angela.
0: She's freaking out. The <laughs> academic in me is dying. That's like stealing other people's content.
2: Exactly. Don't
0: steal content.
2: Exactly.
1: Exactly.
2: <laughs> right. But but creating blogs, I, I personally I never even thought to do that. So I mean, if people are looking to write, that's a very interesting way to do it and create a book. Yeah, I'm, definitely. I'm
3: Succulent Sundays coming your way.
1: There you yeah. go. Do it. Um I um Basically, um, you know, Central that we blogged because uh, Donna Maria at at Indie Business told me to blog. So I took her advice. Like when you trust somebody, just keep taking their advice. And she advised me to blog. So I started blogging, and uh, I think she was like at the time, three blogs a week. Um, And now I'm way down from there. But um, uh, putting out those blog posts basically just was me sharing information and trying to help other businesses do well as well and then um uh turning them into content kind of came or uh, into books came when i first learned about self-publishing and i um i was like well what have i written already and i'm like oh at least like probably five books if i had had more time just to gather it all up Um, and it was just kind of a how do i make this possible in a three month period of time. And that's the only way, because I still to run my business mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't just hold away other than for one, one of the books I went for two weeks to um, one of the bigger books uh, to the beach and I hold away and and um, put all the content together and then hired an editor when I came out of there. So, and the who helped me like then say, here's what's missing um, and and fill that in. So, but blogs are like, if if you think about it, it, people won't read for a long period of time. So in general, you want your blogs to be like 300 to 500 words. That's easy. That's like a short sit down, knock it out. The first few times you're doing it, you're like overly perfectionist about it and they'll take you forever. But once you get in the habit of doing that um, and you like give yourself a schedule of, I'm gonna blog at least once a week or at least once a month or whatever it is, um it becomes a really fast process um over time just just from you know getting yourself used to it
3: so there's a lot to be said about the mental muscle and practicing and repetition right
1: and so the more you definitely the The more you do something the easier it gets
3: and the faster and the easier it becomes and so i think blog posting at the beginning for many people, it can be intimidating. What does a sentence of structure look like? What does a paragraph structure look like? And then once you start doing it frequently, and just three bullet points, three bullet points, three bullet points, all of a sudden, I think it starts falling into place. But those, those first couple blog posts, especially right. on a new topic, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm pulling a tooth right now. But, <laughs> but it's worth it. Your fingers just start moving and Things start coming out.
1: Yep, definitely. But an editor is double. Yes. Yeah. No matter where you are in your writing career, an editor is so essential. Um, I completely depend on mine. Um, and I'm like, I've been doing this long enough now that I'm just like, just. And I know my editor, so I'm just like, yeah, just do it. Like, don't show it to me. <laughs> don't get my permission to make the change. Just make the change. I don't. So right. I don't want to be bogged down in the process of editing because you can get yourself so bogged down in controlling every little word and every sentence and every paragraph that one, you slow down the whole process, but you yeah. stop yourself also from moving on to the next con- piece of content. So um, that's another secret of how I've published so many books and so quickly is oh. really trusting right, my editors to do what needs to happen.
0: Right. And I think that could be said for any part of the business too. just being able to delegate and then take a step back once they have it and not kind of, you know, enter yourself into things you have no business entering yourself into at that point. Sorry, Angela, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. I,
3: I use my editor to include the call to action and everything. So it's kind of a standard. She's got the wording on that. And I'm not I'm not so good. That's not my strength the call to action part i know it needs to be there but by the time i'm getting the content out i'm kind of tired right like i've got all the energy poured into the content mm-hmm. you wrap it up and make it go somewhere please it helps it does
1: definitely It it does and it doesn't mean you have to go out and hire a bunch of people who now you have to pay hourly no matter what oh. happens it's it's project-based and um, you know, I hire somebody when I have the need or the money to hire them. To... Absolutely,
0: and you know, I think, I think, it, I think, what was that? It sounded like Ray, but he's not on here. It, <laughs> My I phone keeps ringing.
1: My oh, phone okay. keeps ringing, but I, <laughs> I got weirded out for a second. I'm like, Weird I
0: thought I heard Ray, but then he's not here me out i, know I, know. I keep saying, reaching but, up to swipe things oh away. no you're, you're <laughs> fine you're fine it just like it was that was a weird moment because i was like wait where's he at so anyway no it's i think it's one of those things that sometimes you can overthink everything and it's good to be to have you know fine detailed processes and if you have the people to hire in or the funds to hire somebody in to do it perfectly obviously that's great. But, you know, for a lot of people first starting out, it's important to know that, you know, think about the things that you really need to delegate first. And, you know, the rest of the stuff, just do it good enough because it always can be fixed later. It always can be perfected later. And the only reason I'm saying that is I see a lot of people just sit back and kind of wait until that magical moment when everything, you know, is perfect. They wait till they have the money so they can hire all the people. They wait till you know, they just wait to do everything instead of just getting it good enough and then putting it out there and then perfecting it as they go along. So, I mean, I think that's a good example with with blog posting, you know, for example, I mean, if somebody's out there right now and they've got a super young business and they can't afford to have an editor and they have a few typos, you know, just fix them as you go. I mean, it's it's completely, it's it's, it's a process. Everything's a process.
1: So, Kayla. Right, uh, definitely, I have people on my blogs. Oh, sorry. That's all right. On my blogs, I don't always have an editor, but um, I have several people who will who will write me a message privately and say, "Hey, you wrote um, the wrong form of this," and yeah. I just go in and fix it. Like there's exactly. no embarrassment in that. No. I, I was
3: going to say Maria's one of Maria's kind of catchphrases that she really focuses on is asking people if what they're working on moves the needle. Right. So I feel that with all the things that you've done with the pivoting and whatever, um, how tell us a story about a time when you've had to just, you've had a lesson learned and um, you've had to like really move the needle or let something go because it didn't move the needle the way you expected to.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you about Bonnature, which seemed like an excellent idea at the time. But um, So when I owned Essential Wholesale, um, we had moved out of one building into another building thinking it would be big enough. And after five months, we were had outgrown that building. And um, we toughed it out for about a year there. And then eventually we had to move it. And... Um, Uh, So now we had a lease on that building, and we were like, well, maybe we should put something there, a store, or hey, a spa, because we make personal care projects, why not? And um, it turns out that's a really horrible idea, um, especially when your business is growing really rapidly, and you divert your attention to something else um, that is not going in the same direction, because wholesale bulk wholesale and private label is very much different than a retail brand and a store location. And um, we took on partners, this is where I learned my hard lesson of partners and they didn't have the same work ethic as as, uh, myself. And so I was working both places constantly all the time and um, raising a family in the midst of this, they just kind of came along for the ride. And um, uh, the store was losing money. The It was diverting our attention, which was making it so that Essential Wholesale wasn't growing as rapidly as it had been. And I put my heart and soul into this place. It was beautiful. I'd done all this hand work, you know, amazing stained glass staircase, all this beautiful stuff. That's awesome. And, yeah, it was gorgeous. So I was like, I love this building and this place. And um, And we had to close it and um, and it was devastating, one, because everyone knew that we'd been doing this, and I was going to have to shut it down and very publicly fail at it. Um, And I decided, well, I'm just going to go ahead and be o- honest and open about it um, and um and then two, letting the people go and letting go of a dream. And so kind of my my um, philosophy in in business and in life and is, basically mourn it for a day. Give yourself 24 hours, cry, scream, you know, do whatever temper tantrum you need to have, have a good solid pity party. And then the next day you have to get up, pick up the pieces, figure out what's important, where where they need to go. We moved employees around from Vonager over to a wholesale, let others go. And so there was a lot of work to be done in this process of shifting things around. And... Um, uh, I, I learned so much in that lesson that um, I've always been really open about kind of failing and falling on my face, um, because I found so many people. I got messages, and I got one from Israel, like the day I blogged about it, um, of a guy who was failing, and his family was upset with him, and you know all this was going on, and and how much it meant to know that somebody successful also failed. Um, at something and that, um, just kind of, if he, you know, ask for advice, obviously on how he should pivot his business. Um, and you know, I do coaching with people all the time because, because I have now it's kind of turned into another revenue stream and another way that I can yeah. help people as well is really dive into their business and see what's going wrong, um, with them and kind of help them pivot to a new direction or sometimes it's over a product or whatever it is. Um, I think, I think that answered it.
0: I think it's perfect and I love the vulnerability I'm all about the vulnerability I love that I'm absorbing every single piece of that I think it's amazing and I think a lot of business owners are so afraid to tell their messy parts of business ownership that they're really doing themselves a disservice by not kind of allowing that allowing it to come out you know it's like that dirty little secret that you're just like shh, shh. you don't want anybody to see until one day you're like forget it I'm talking about it and when that happens it becomes part of your story because that's part of your journey and it also allows you to connect with other people because i think that's so important to do because i actually don't know a business owner that has not had some type of a failure so i mean i think it's common if not everyone <laughs> well I'm, so my i
1: know business investors so who won't invest in somebody until they fail so um yeah uh, there are investors who like that that if you haven't failed then um come back later when you have and you're teachable, so it makes you so much more teachable. To um, when you fail, so, um, so I'm. I've always been. I'm, I probably sh- overshare um, for sure, and especially as a writer. Like there's times that I've written things <laughs> that I'm like. There's, there's a story I wrote um, on a blog post about falling in human poop in a grocery store. And as I was writing it, I was like, "Yep, yeah, this is it. This is the truth that I will share. Anything if it will help somebody else." <laughs> I came back at the right time. How
0: about that? There you go. Hi, Ray. Welcome back.
2: Ain't <laughs> back at the right time.
0: Yeah, I, I, I am definitely. I hear myself, and I feel. I feel like we're a lot alike. Like I'm like, oh, I do that too. Ooh, I do that too. Ooh, I do that too. I'd say we're a lot personality wise, a lot alike. I don't know. I guess Angelina, you know better than she could tell me. But I hear her say things. I'm like, oh yeah. I do that
3: <laughs> a lot. We're good. We're solid here. <clears throat> so, um, one of, I don't know, Ray, what's your favorite catchphrase when you're talking, when you're coaching people?
2: Your favorite like, catchphrase. I'm always saying
3: that. fail forward. Maria is always saying, are your activities moving the needle? Do you have a favorite one? I don't hear you as uh, consistently just pick one.
2: No, I just kind of go with the moment. Um, it's with that, whatever's on my mind and whatever we're talking about. Uh, I, I, You know what? With all that I talk and use, I can't even think of one right now, to be that's honest. That's how
0: that usually goes. It's like everything falls out of your head as somebody asks you a
2: question. like that. That's it. That's we it. We put
3: all the pressure on you. Kelly, yeah, do you I like have my, a favorite? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to ask Kayla the same question. What's what's a favorite when you're coaching some of your um, entrepreneurs? Do you have a favorite kind of go-to that you're looking for?
1: Um, a lot of people come to me when they are, um, like, about to fail or close to failing or are making <laughs> have made some kind of epic mistake. And, I, I mean, my biggest piece of advice always that I'm giving them to is that, Everybody fails. (laughs) Like, it's, it's, there's nothing to be ashamed of in failing Mm. because that's part of succeeding. Yeah. Yeah. Is not giving up, of course, when you fail um, and finding another, basically, another way to pivot um, uh, your
0: talents. Sure. And I think that's key because I think so many people, I end up getting the messy people too, which I like the messy people. I am the messy people. So I think that's why we vibe. But like, I think too many people try to hold on to those things that aren't right for them far too long instead of just letting it go you know once it looks like it's not working and you've kind of gone through your processes you know, you know you've know, you done your due diligence to figure out that you know it's not the processes you know there's there's something else going on a lot of times they still try to hold on to it because they're so afraid of that failure instead of just letting it go and just saying, okay. well, this wasn't the right time, it wasn't right for me, or whatever the case may be, and and then allowing themselves to go over to the next thing, because, you know, that causes way more damage. I see that, just that holding on and refusing to let it go, causing so much more damage, financially, mentally, mm-hmm. you know, all of the things. Yeah. Definitely.
2: Yeah, it's funny. Change is People hard. Just- change is hard. People don't like to let go of things, whether it be in business or otherwise.
0: Yep. Yep. So as far as your coaching clients, is that something that you market out to people? Is it something that people can kind of find out? I mean, I'm sure they can Google and find your books just based on your name, but where, like, where can people find out more about what you do?
1: Um, yeah, I've not really marketed that um, because, um, I just kind of keep getting clients, um, I'm kind of word of mouth, um, and, and referrals. I think there might be a little bit on Kayla my author website of about coaching. Um, but you can't like place the order there because mostly it's, it's going to be, I want to talk to you make sure it's going to be a good fit or, or yeah. you send me what you're looking for so that I can make sure that I'm going to be a good fit. And, um, and then I just basically, you know, disclose this. I'm going to do this research ahead of time and we're going to have this hour phone call and then I'm going to have this information afterwards. So you're really getting more than an hour, but you're um, but I, I want to have an informed hour um, where okay. I know what um, their business is like and I can look at what's going on in it. Um, and yeah, I don't market. It's just been word of, of mouth. It's kind of like I fell into that like I fell into publishing because people kept wanting to hire me.
2: Can you tell me more about the CBD market?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting field. Um, so everyone uh, and their uncle jumped into the industry. Um, thankfully, we got there a little bit before everyone. Um, but in 2017, it was legal, but not everyone knew it. Um, and that's when we got in. In 2018, a new bill was passed, which made it very clear and very public that it was legal. And... Um, it has been a really interesting ride to be on this journey of something going from illegal to legal and finding all those processes along the way. or kind of there are a lot of obstacles along the way. Banking, uh, credit card processing, website, social media is still an obstacle. Um, a lack of information about it, and people thinking that um, you know we're hawking weed when we are. We're we're selling CBD, which is come from hemp, which is completely legal. So there's been a lot of education that we've had to do. Um, we I speak at a lot of events, um, and I was kind of lucky to step into there with a good resume already um, because I speak for the cosmetic industry and aromatherapy world. So um, it has been an adventure. A lot of people jumped in. A lot of companies are vanishing. Um, The big mistake a lot of companies did was they invested, they got investors, they put a ton of money up front because they thought, I'm going to make a billion dollars, like this is just going to be the most successful industry ever, everyone. So they went out and got investors and then especially when COVID hit um, shortly with people just being in brand new baby businesses, that was a huge hit for for the hemp industry um, because people weren't going into shops um, and you and you didn't have events. Um, and and it's a high there's a lot of education to get the product into your consumers' hands. Um and taking away those two things was um, was pretty rough on a lot of companies. We've seen some big ones fold um, and some little ones. Um, and that's where we really went. all right, let's step in here to try and make a more affordable way for anybody to get into the hemp industry um, because you don't want to have a huge amount of investment that you're trying to to make up for in a company uh, early on. So we we really started pushing on our affiliate program, which allows people to just sign up as an affiliate, talk about us with their particular link and earn 25% of every sale that comes in through them. Um, pretty much the most painless way you could possibly get into the hemp industry because you don't have to deal with any of the uh, credit card processing and some of the uh, websites that still don't allow um, cbd Um, Mm -hmm. and then uh, my focus has always been on small businesses so we will um we have a 50 piece minimum for people to white label our product um allowing allowing people to get in really easy Because I think the only way to succeed in this business, especially at this point, with a lot having gone de- gone down and and the and the world of business changing so much during COVID, is to get in without a huge amount of expense and, and debt. So we we really want to position ourselves to support those people who really want to do that.
2: But I'm sorry, ladies, because I'm I'm a neophyte today, and this is interesting. So what is the difference between hemp and weed? I'd like to know that. I I don't know.
1: Yeah. So they're related. They are cousins. Basically they're the same, the different strains of the same, um, cannabis. So, um, in the weed in, in marijuana, basically, um, there is a high level of THC and a very low level of CBD. The THC is what gets you high. Um, and, um, then in the hemp plant, it's a very low level of THC and a very high level of CBD. So legal definition of hemp is 0.3% or less of CBD, I mean of THC. Um, that, that's the legal threshold um, for it to be considered hemp. Um, and uh, And hemp basically doesn't get you high. There isn't enough THC in it to... To make you high um, and it just kind of provides a lot of different health benefits for people um, i don't know if you're familiar with how cbd works i'll give you just a little short uh, yeah go on for that. It.
2: Yeah, please okay
1: basically um everyone in school you learn about your body systems you know the digestive system and the endocabin are uh, digestive and bones and you know all those sorts of things but you never learn about the endocabinoid system and the endocannabinoid system is basically um, a system that works to create homostasis or balance in all the other body systems. So our bodies produce naturally uh, cannabinoids. And um, but when we don't produce enough, we get in a state of unhealth because we no longer, our bodies no longer coming to a state of homostasis in each, each different system in your body. Um, what CBD does is uh, it's a so it comes from a plant but is exactly the same as the one your body produces, so your body accepts it the same exact way. And then it basically, wherever your body is out of balance, um, it helps balance those things out. So that's why you hear people using it for so many different things. And it can be you basically have these receptors all over your body in your skin hair follicles muscles brain organs they're everywhere and so cbd connects to those receptors and goes to work and basically it just kind of interacts differently if you take it topically or if you put it on topically it works faster because it goes right to work right where the need is and when you take it, ingest it, um, it tends to take about three days for people to really start kind of feeling any kind of change in their body.
2: So is it about pain, reducing pain and inflammation, or or what?
1: That is one of the things. Yeah, that is definitely mm-hmm. one of the things. But people use CBD for epilepsy. They use them for um, just all different kinds of things. But one of the most like common things that um, especially parents are looking for CBD for is um, epilepsy, but also it can be used for attention deficit. It helps people with anxiety because it works in every body system. So it creates that homostasis wherever you need it. Um, but most people think of it for pain, but we use it in our topical skincare products because it's phenomenal as a skincare ingredient, um, but we also make bath bombs and things like that, things that will people use for pain, these um, ointments, things like that, that people will put on a small area or you can put it all over your whole body and or soak in a tub with it. There's a variety of different ways that you can apply it. Um, but The most common that most people are familiar with is the pain aspect of it. I use
3: it for that. As an endurance athlete, every once in a while, the inflammation just gets to you,
1: mm-hmm.
3: right? So I'll send you a link if you want. Ray.
2: Yeah, I like that because I, you know, I'm in the gym every day. I mean, yeah. every day, you know, and and you go through that pain, yep. you know, and it's it's interesting, you know. I I really yeah. would like to know more about it.
1: I um, I I have Ehlers Danlos Syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. So I was living in just constant pain and um uh, was having to take over-the-counter drugs and sometimes I was taking prescriptions to try and deal with the pain. I had pain somnia because I couldn't sleep because I was in so much pain. And I used everything natural. I tried everything to address my pain. And I only use CBD now. Um, I don't take I don't even take Advil anymore. Um and I used to go wow. through the the bottles like candy. Um, so I use it topically and internally. Um, I know a lot of people in the who have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome uh, do use it very regularly for pain to keep moving.
0: I use it daily as well. I use it daily. I have DDD, so I have degenerative disc disease. So I used to do MMA back in the day, and I've had seven children, too, so I didn't help my discs, but I use it. I use it every single day. And um, you mentioned ADHD and all that. My son, my 12 year old is autistic and we actually use it for him. He used to never sleep. So it's actually helped him with sleep as well. So mm-hmm. we all, we all, the whole family uses it for different things. Yeah, it's great stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. So Kayla, where can people find you? So what's great you? is you don't need they... a
1: different formula for each thing.
3: No. Right, right. You're right. It's, um, it's you so find useful me that on
1: way. On ology essentials okay you can find me on ologyessentials.com um we also are on instagram and facebook um and then uh kayla firavanti um on i think it's kayla firavanti ology is my business page um personal business page and then i'm also on instagram with that kayla firavanti um and kayla which is also because I'm guessing no one can, except for it does say it, it says it right under my name, right there. It does. Um, (laughs) Right there. Perfect. um, You're never going to guess that one.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, that's great, and I'll try to pop some of those links and i will have to find them all but i'll try to pop them into the comments too and again thank you for jumping in such short notice today i'm super excited um i'll actually like to talk to you more about a bunch of stuff um later i'd like to have you on one of my other shows too yeah. so i love 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 great. the stories and the vulnerabilities so and angela coach Ray, thanks again like usual for for being a part of the show today. And next week we will be back on again at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of Business Acceleration Playbook where we're bringing you the plays that you need to win in your business. And thanks a lot, bye.
3: Thanks, Kayla.
0: Bye.